Welcome to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast. Well, many thanks for joining us on the Journal of Biophilic Design today. Um, we're actually media sponsors for a new event, the Net Zero Workplace, which is taking place on the 7th of July, 2022, at the Cavendish Conference Centre um, in London, um, and it's followed by Drink Social. So if you're in London on that day, I suggest you come along, great networking, and there's, got, there's a great programme um, in the event. Um, and I'm really thrilled to be joined by two um, people who are going to be appearing at the event. Um, they're from MCOR. Uh, we're going to be speaking about responsible consumption in the workplace at the event. Um, I'm joined, um, as you're going to look at the screen, Jeremy Campbell is on the left. He's Executive um, Marketing Director and Business Development uh, for MCOR. And Ian Baker, who is on the right, as you look at the screen, um, is Head of Workplace for MCOR UK. So uh, many thanks, first of all, for, for joining me. Thank you for inviting us, Vanessa. We're really looking forward to having a, a discussion on, on, on this session with you. I'm looking forward to the conference on the 7th of July. So folks, if you, you want to come along to that, I think it'd be a really great informative day. And of course, a nice little drinks reception later in the evening, Vanessa. Lovely. That's great. So um, I'll put links on the uh, on the journal of biophilicdesign.com and um, also on the YouTube channel and also on all the RSS feeds. So um, people do please click through and, um, and sign up. Um, well, before we go anywhere, really, maybe you could sort of tell us a little bit about yourselves, um, uh, sort of the company you work for and what you do, and a little bit about what MCOR does, if that's possible. Sure. Ian. Oh, so... Um, You're the leader. I, well, I'm from Workplace, yes. So uh, my name's Ian Baker. I'm uh, Head of Workplace at MCOR UK. Um, so MCOR UK are predominantly a facilities management company, which Jeremy will probably go through a little bit more detail in, in a minute. Um, my role, um, as I said, is focusing on workplaces uh, and we look at our customers um, and try to help them navigate through uh, the new world new world and new ways of working um, specifically post pandemic now obviously um, uh, creating high performance workplaces that um, support people do the, the best work um, focusing on people planet and, uh, and productivity fantastic Can I go into a deeper yeah 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 sure so i'm jeremy campbell as vanessa introduced me um, I look after the, the company's marketing and business development activities. And so basically my job is, is relationship building. I like to be looking at insight as well about what's shaping and changing both our industry and how we can create really vibrant and cool workplaces in the future where people feel, I guess, you know, feel they can be the best they can possibly be, that they feel stimulated and, and invigorated to, to do great things, to learn and develop and, and to be the best they possibly can be. And the most important thing is that we create workplaces that are future-proof and sustainable for, for, for our future, not just for ourselves, but for future generations. You asked Vanessa what we do as an organisation, as a business. Um, it's always a challenge for me to be very brief, but I will try to be. As Ian said, we're a facilities management business. If folks out there on, on the wires don't know what one of those is, we provide five solutions. We provide facility services to the built environment. So basically... Anything you see in a building, mechanical, electrical maintenance, air conditioning, fire suppressant systems, air conditioning systems, lift and maintenance systems, for example, work with the kind of company that will come along and maintain those and make sure they work and they operate, as well as providing all things like cleaning services, hygienic services, grounds maintenance services, horticultural services, biophilia to some extent inside the, the, the built environment and catering, hospitality, concierge, a whole range of services. We also provide project solutions. So, you know, we'll do refurbishment work to buildings, swap out assets, particularly ones that are no longer performing particularly well. Yeah. 
or maybe they're using too much energy and they're no longer fitting with our view of what the world needs to look like in the future. We do asset maintenance services, so we brought a lot of technology into the marketplace. So we, we do what we call centralizing assets. So we look at how they're performing under different conditions so that we can optimize the performance of those, of those assets, make them more efficient, more effective, use less CO2. Big thing for us to talk to you about today. And the last couple of things we do is Ian heads up our workplace transformational team. That's about creating workplaces that are vibrant for people to go, to go and work in. One of the biggest things we're seeing now, Vanessa, is this great resignation of folks that want to go and work somewhere else because the workplaces they've been working in for, for years don't are not commensurate with their requirements and needs. So the things that Ian does is create great places that are designed extremely well, designed ergonomically and efficiently and, and economically particularly well as well. And then the final piece is we do energy solutions. So we help our clients and customers use energy more wisely, use less of it, Think about the circular economy, so renew, recycle, yep. change that kind of stuff. So that, that's yeah. really for the folks that that's what we, we kind of do. That's a facilities <laughs> management company in, in a minute or two. <laughs> um, well, I've, I've actually seen you present before, Ian, particularly when you've done case studies on, on the sort of difference you've made. So um, I can vouch, not firsthand, obviously, because I've not been in the working in those offices, but I can, okay. I've, I've seen that all the sort of stats and, and the sort of spreadsheet stuff and, and then also the beautiful presentations that you've, you've given actually different workplace trends actually as well so um yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so i'm looking forward to finding out a little bit more um i think i'm just going to go straight to the you know the the, the nitty-gritty uh, how worried are you about climate change the pair of you um you know obviously we've had the ipcc report that we're not hitting the targets and it's a it's yeah. sort of it's quite it's quite it's very well, it's not quite scary it's very scary actually we're yeah. all doing what we can um, you know, are your work colleagues and that um, worried as well? I mean, how, what's what's your feeling on that? Just kind of just to kind of so we can set the scene where your where your hearts are. <laughs> well, I mean, re really worried, personally, really worried, and, and more so over the last two years than well, maybe even the last six years actually. Seeing as that's how old my daughter is, so um, I have a six-year-old daughter, and you know, I, I I'm, I'm looking at her and um, thinking about the way that we're going to leave them a damaged planet um they've just started talking about it in school um so she came home the other day and was talking about how we need to turn the lights off to save the ocean um you know and which is good it's good i was really quite impressed but at the same time i'm thinking she's sick she's going to start worrying about this stuff soon and and you know that makes me feel like we're already failing that we've already failed um so yeah really worried um, I've been involved and interested in sustainability since um, since college, which was quite a long time ago. I used to get a free magazine sent through about renewables and um, the, the rise of um, wind generated power and stuff uh, back in the, back in the uh, early 2000s. So that's going to age me. Um, uh, and, and, and I think with the pandemic and um, a lot more focus on what's going on, with the uh, with the rise of 1.5 degrees, etc., um, yeah, it, it's it's very much a now or never moment for me. Well, what is it? it, it the, the the turning point here, isn't it? It's it's do or, do or die, isn't it? There's no there's no plan B to quote Kofi Annan. There's only one planet Earth. Uh, I think if, if if folks out there haven't recognised that massive change is coming, then then I think we need to stand up and look at it. The IPCC report is pretty damning, isn't it? Yeah. To use your words, Vanessa, it, it is really really scary. If I think about the one stat in there that, that really frightens me, we're at 1.2 degrees C rise now. 
And already by 2040, there's likely to be between 32 and 132 million people that will be facing extreme poverty. So climate change is not just about rising sea levels that are going to cause massive impact or, or losing major ecosystems of, of, of life on land and life in the sea through pollution. It's not just about major droughts and major heat waves and fires and the polar caps melting and polar bears going. It's, it's the reality is for, for us as a species, I guess if we don't do something, there ain't going to be any future generations. Mm. You know, beyond 2100, and I know it's not going to impact us because we're not going to be here, but we have a moral obligation as business leaders to solve these problems today. Whatever that takes, for me, certainly, it's the only thing that, that I am concerned about. So as an organisation, we're always thinking about, you know, we, we listened to Davos 2019, 2018, you know, purpose, not profit. Our business is about purpose. More organisations need to think about purpose because if we don't do something, yeah. there's going to be going to be a, a lot of a lot of problems, Vanessa, in the future. I think another thing for me that always worries me. I'm a big supporter of WaterAid, oh, and yeah. if, if you look at some of the stats from WaterAid, one in five people do not have access to basic clean water. Mm. That's about 770 million folks. Yeah. Worse than that, one in ten you know, don't have like have access to basic sanitation. You know, you're looking at over a billion people that don't have basic sanitation. And the IPPC report talks about kids under 15, 40,000 plus folks dying of diarrhea. That's because they don't have access to basic water. Climate change is going to make this 10 times worse. Yeah, absolutely. There's also security issues and everything. There's sort of migration. There's people, you know, as homes go underwater and all this kind of thing, there's going to be, there's so many different issues, isn't there? As you said, it's not just you know um just the obvious there's all the knock-on effect there's the security yeah. the economic and um, the health health impacts and everything so um obviously you mentioned um companies you know really needing to you know getting on getting on board and you as a company are really doing stuff the companies that you're um obviously facility managing uh, or engaging with um are you finding that they're actually genuinely concerned about doing something about it um, or are they just playing lip service? Are they? Are they actually? Do you do you think there's a genuine need? Is, is it like? Um, does it depend what sort of company it is, or or is or is it? Um, is there just like? Do you feel like it's a sea change? Yeah, yeah. I mean, two two bits to that. I think Vanessa, the, the, the companies that we look after, mm. um, they they're companies like us. So you know, we're very picky about who we work with. Actually, aren't we? We we, we tend to. Um, you know, they interview them as much Choosy. as they selective, yeah. yes, selective. Mm -hmm. Um, and we, um, so that so they're very, they have a very similar mindset to us, uh, and and no, they're not generally um paying lip service, they're actually doing mm -hmm. something about it, and we're helping them do something about it. I think for me, that there are a number of other companies, however, that you know, that are playing lip service, and, mm -hmm. and unfortunately, you know, do jump on the fashionable bandwagon about talking about climate change and talking about carbon at zero. Um, and, and use that as a as a marketing tool almost as a way. So I, I, I'm a bit pessimistic. I think that there are um, there are some companies that are doing really well, and there are some that unfortunately are, are just using it as a marketing tool. With, with uh, Vanessa, well, a couple of pieces of research. So Charles Schwab, they're an investment company. Um, they 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 published some stuff I think in, in Forbes or Investors Chronicle a few weeks ago, saying that 44% of, of organisations they interviewed. Um, investors the interview the pardon, were seeing organizations to Ian's point paying lip service to environmental social and governance ESG 
mm-hmm. which is not really great. And you know, if they're not, if investors are not not taking it as seriously as we should be, then organisations aren't. But we we ran a survey through LinkedIn late last year and asked organisations how prepared they were for the the challenges of the 1.5 degrees C rise. Mm-hmm. And broadly speaking, we found that about 13 or 14 percent responded back saying, yeah, we're fully prepared. We're right on this. We're on scope one, two, three emissions. We know exactly what we're doing. 20, 28%, 29% were saying, yeah, we're fully prepared. We're on a journey. We know what we need to be doing. Mm-hmm. But nearly 50% said that they were neither prepared or not fully prepared at all. So all the 50% of the respondents, basically, as Ian said, are paying lip service. They're just, mm-hmm. just not getting into this. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. I, um, do, do you really think that... Um, workplace can make an impact on the net zero do you really think they can um i mean obviously, yeah. <laughs> obviously i know you can, i know you do but i mean yeah. um, and you talk of your talk is obviously responsible consumption and what does that mean exactly so you know yeah. so i mean we, we um we adopted some of the um un sustainable development goals and one of them was is responsible consumption i'm not sure that's one that we've chosen yeah, yeah, yeah. it is yeah no it is yeah sorry it is one uh, yeah. and, and that that speaks to um um, how we responsibly consume natural resources, mm. specifically, um, uh, you know, and, and, and the circular economy, as, as Jeremy was talking about. But I also think that there's an element now, um, the, the pandemic has given us a huge opportunity to really look at how we use buildings. Um, I think I was presenting a, an IWFM conference last year where someone was asking the question, um, are we trapped by buildings? Mm. And I was saying that we... We, we were heading towards being trapped by buildings before the pandemic because we were using them blindly and we were just using them, um, you know, through evolution. It's what we do. It's, you know, we go to work five days a week. Buildings are there. That's that's what happens. And I think that we, we're now in a position where um, thinking about workplaces specifically, that we can we can choose to responsibly consume workplaces or we can choose to responsibly consume buildings. We need to have more of an idea about why we're using spaces why we're using buildings and, and and manage them accordingly so that we're not just having um floors and of, of um you know, empty space that's being heated and, and and lit for no reason um so that's that's kind of how what i'll be talking about at workplace trends uh, and that's how i feel that specifically workplace can help kind of um you know manage the the amount of space that we use and how we use it there's, a, there's another dynamic to that i think as well yeah no, you think, yeah. yeah, but you know, broadly speaking, you know, 40 percent of 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 our, our costs as a, as a nation are going up in buildings, yeah, not construction, but you know, the, the consumption aspect of a building, yeah, it's mm-hmm. electricity, it's gas, it's water, it's utilities, mm-hmm. all the things I mentioned before. All those assets need servicing. All those buildings need people to come in and do things. So even if it's just basic. You know, basic cleaning and hygienic services, looking at the products that are being used to clean the building and service the building, making sure the supply chain is also ensuring that that supply chain is, is carbon neutral. Mm-hmm. So there's so much that we can do in the workplace. It's not just about the building materials, whether you're using stone or natural woods or the CO2 aspect, it's the servicing piece as well. It plays a massive role in, in helping us achieve you know, a lower carbon future. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's there's um, there's a statistic, isn't there, that, that I think it's the UK Green Building Council has said that 25% of the UK greenhouse emissions come from the built environment. Yeah. If you add in transport, that jumps to 42%. So that that's people driving to and from these buildings. Mm-hmm. Uh, the life of a building can be 
what can be a, you know a really long time and and but the design happens you know once doesn't it so yeah. if we're designing correctly then the life of the building will will contribute positively um, or, or, or negatively and we that's the thing that we need to make sure that we're doing now we need to make sure that those buildings that are going to be with us um till 2050 are um decarbonized and, and retrofitted so that they are not contributing negatively to the whole climate change aspect yeah absolutely because you think you know we, we talk about i mean i talk a lot to a lot of architects and they're designing you know biophilically they're designing they're very much with the earth and they're all this kind of thing and it's and it's fantastic but what about those buildings that are already existing or you know the ones that are being built but not really with that kind of it's, it's like yeah. you say it's you don't people you don't really realize it's their impact that every day today that sort of quotidian kind of usage of a, of a space isn't it you know the how you can how you can make a difference yeah gonna... you know we, and we, we we did a presentation um in september last year and uh, i was slightly contentiously said that the solution isn't in new building and isn't in architecture and we all get really excited about these buildings you know these mm. new buildings that are designed to be you know really really green uh, and, and that is really lovely um but actually they, they represent just this, such a small percentage of, of the built environment mm. and unless everybody adopts those practices or that those practices can then be retrofitted into an existing stock yeah it, it, it's it's a nice thing to, to see but it doesn't really help the bigger picture that's right you you i think ian was telling me about buildings that are designed now for natural light so they've got these huge big 200 feet atriums yeah beautiful for natural light coming in radiating natural heat mm. which again is reducing some of your, your, your own maintenance costs but actually, how much did it cost to actually get up and clean the windows? Yeah. Yeah. You know, no one's thinking about that when, when we're designing. There's a cost associated with the machinery to get up there. There's a health and safety hazard. There's the materials to do that as well for all those windows. It's the same putting uh, the PVC panels on roofs. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a big cost associated yeah. with cleaning those. And if they're not clean, they don't work. Yeah, that's true. Which we've got yeah. to take that holistic whole life cycle view. In, yeah. in the design process yeah so everybody sat down together and actually came up with like a blueprint of like you know well if, if you've got this and this has to be this height and this thing or how it can be costed or something like a little package like a little takeaway that everybody could just do it'd be amazing but that's what they need people like you isn't it to kind of go right okay we need uh this is what you need to do and talking of that um what 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 sort of first steps should companies do if they're going to have to retrofit and let's be, be honest as you just mentioned you know there's a lot of companies that are not being able to have a swanky new building designed for them and like just up six and just you know move somewhere else that they are actually having to deal with their carbon emissions where they are i mean i've just obviously just been in the hospital just now um and you're just looking at it and you think how would where would you even start to try and retrofit or you know if you're the, you know the even the head of the facilities management in a location where, where do you start? What do you do? Do you sort of monitor? Do you, what, what, what would you do apart from getting you guys in? I mean, what would you, what would you do? And what's the first, what's the first thing you have to do? <laughs> do you know, um, for me, the first thing that everybody needs to do is acknowledge that there's a problem. Um, and, and step one, acknowledge that there's a problem. Yeah. Uh, and I was going to say, um, when I read the question earlier today, um, the, the the second thing is measurement. But but just thinking about it, whilst you asked it, there's there's a real problem that we've got that it depends on the building ownership and and the way that property works in the UK. Or a lot of offices work in the UK. You've got the the um, the landlord, the real estate people, the users, the FM people that manage it, and they're everybody's got a different um, uh, 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 reason to be there. Um, and you, know, you go go around the money 
really you know the landlord wants to get the best price the property we want to manage the building um, for the cheapest we want we want the best user experience and we want to try to so the the, the real challenge is aligning everybody's um wants and needs to to um uh, to, to align it towards more climate <coughs> positive um, solution but yeah so me measurement though really is the key isn't it i think you can't you can't change what you don't measure but yeah and you, you've done a lot of measurement work haven't you things like well, these type studies yeah. that, are, that are helping folks understand how the buildings are being used and what people think of it. Yeah, I think which can be used to help designers rebuild and retrofit. You can put some of that thinking into the design, say of a new, new air conditioning units, the new lighting systems. Yeah. yeah. So we we do um, we're uh, Leesman Advanced Practitioners. So Leesman is a um, a survey tool that um, captures employee workplace experience. Um, it gets quite granular, so it's, it's, it's a good it's a good starting point to understand how the building is contributing to the people that use it. Um, we also did a lot of studies in um, uh, the indoor environment, so CO two temperature, um, humidity, and um, VOCs. VOCs are quite interesting in terms of you know products that that off gas that are made from petrochemicals. So uh, we we're, we're always surprised that there's um, a lack of measurement in buildings and that people um you know when people go into a building pretty much hand over the responsibility of the environment they're about to be in to someone else you usually an fm provider yeah. you know but you, you you just give that responsibility to someone else you, you have no idea whether that environment is is good for you or not so i think there's going to be a rise of um, mobile tech that people will be carrying around with them so they can see what the CO2 levels are in a meeting room that they might be in or um, see what the VOCs are. And that, that's going to get easier as, as, as this tech gets smaller. So um, for me, measurement's got to be the first thing so you can, you can work out what you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really interesting. Um, Jeremy, do you have anything? Or are you, are you because he does the job, would you, uh, <laughs> yeah. would you say, well, I'll go with that then? Um, no, but it, it, do you know what? It's a really great question. Because where do you start with grade two listed buildings? We yeah, all know that true. grade two listed building, generally speaking, mm. you know, from a from a CO2 and energy perspective, they're extraordinarily inefficient. Mm. Go to Whitehall, it's extraordinarily inefficient. So where good do you ventilation. Start? Good for ventilation. Yeah, great <laughs> ventilation. And, and great for space. So it's good for the health and mental well-being side of things. So yeah, yeah. I mean that hit the hit the nail on the head really jeremy did there but with with every building is different you know every yes. building is constructed differently every building was built in a different time where the building regulations mm. are different mm. um you know i used to be a building surveyor so when you when you get into how things were constructed and how you can improve them it gets really complicated and every every yeah every every, every building needs to have a different approach can i bring something else into that as well because mm. i might be wrong i think it was 2014 2015 that organizations certainly publicly quoted organizations had to disclose carbon disclosure mm -hmm. the scope one scope two and i think now scope three emissions mm. okay now that's now coming now to all organizations mm. and eventually all commercial buildings are going to have to have an epc rating as well mm. what that is going to do that is going to force organizations to think about that retrofit decision yeah. how do i ensure that my buildings perform more efficiently more effectively that they are, I, I can clearly demonstrate that I am on a carbon reduction, mm. carbon changing path. 
So I, I think it's not about the designers retrofitting or FM companies coming and suggesting alternative ways of doing stuff. Mm. I think organisations are going to have to start to take hold of this problem mm. and recognise that they have to do stuff. Yeah. Well, this is, obviously, this is a journal of biophilic design, and you mentioned um, Ian about the VOCs and and sort of the measure, you know, measuring it and stuff, and there potentially be apps where people are going to be sitting in a in a room and and realizing oh my god there's like there's a load of poisons here that are going down my lungs oh, i need to get out of here which would be really interesting because it you know it might it might actually make the users demand change um and and sort of you know um fixes in those spaces um obviously i really i really believe that biophilic design is one of the sort of key elements in trying to retrofit a space you know whether that's through natural airflow all the different things which you which you know about you know everything from um and you know putting plants in to help with VOCs and all this kind of stuff um do you do you feel that um that biophilic design can help and um and sort of if how how so in which case (laughs) can i just just, yeah yeah vanessa i think this it's another super point because i said before to you we're in this era of the great resignation if the buildings aren't right from a biophilic perspective, mm. if we're not creating environments that, that are greener in terms of the way they've been put together or they've been retrofitted, is to your point, if folks are breathing in stuff that's not good for them, or the lighting's not good for them, yeah. or the, the humidity's not good for them, yes. or there's too much CO2 in the atmosphere, they are going to leave. We've yeah. got this issue as businesses. How do you attract and retain talent? Yeah. How do you get people to come and work for you? The, the buildings have got to now be a destination of choice. Yes. So for me, and I'm not an expert by any means in the built environment, but I recognise what good looks like. And for me, good does look like bringing the outside inside. I want to know that the buildings are made of sustainable materials. I want to feel that I'm in a, in a building that makes me feel great, stimulates my own personal feeling of wellness and well-being, and makes me more creative. So that for me is so, so, so important. I, I'm not going to go and work in places anymore, you know, that, that, that really just, just don't make me feel good, no. that put me down, that make me feel fed up. Yeah. And where you, you come out of buildings, haven't you? Where your clothes feel grimy and feel yeah. dirty. You know, and it's just no good that what, people are not going to put up with this. They are going to walk away. So yeah. organizations have got to do something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what? And, and, uh, Jeremy speaks very passionately, and I always agree with all he says. Usually, so uh, and 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 that. No, I do. I do it on this case. It reminded me actually. The 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 question reminded me. Um, I can't remember where I saw where I saw it recently, but I know it was from a Desmond Morris book called The Human Zoo, oh. and he was talking about um, back in the day. We used to talk about concrete jungles, mm-hmm. and the concrete jungle was a, was a term created where people are um, over stimulated and, and, and you know overstressed in in city built up cities and he was making the case that it's not a concrete jungle because in the jungle people well not people animals you know behave normally mm. so jungles are good it's a, it's more like a, a concrete zoo mm. and that's where we've kind of got to we've, we've created concrete zoos where you know bland buildings mean that you're not connected to nature and you start to behave differently and mm. you know we want people to start behaving responsibly and behave like people that care about the planet, then the spaces we occupy need to be reflective of that and need to have that biophilic design in it so that we're reminded daily, constantly, that you know we exist not just to consume stuff, but to actually feed back into a, 
and creating a good planet for everybody and the future generations, as you were talking about earlier. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's Nigel Osland, isn't it? Is his book on the workplace? Nigel's done the workplace too. Yeah, which yeah. I think is kind of like I think yeah, that's where I got it from, isn't it? Because that's what yeah. he mentions those from Mars. Yeah, yeah. So listeners as well, you can. I, I did an interview with Nigel, so look back on that one. So it's actually called Workplace Zoo. Um, so, but it's really it's really interesting how we like yeah we've just kind of morphed into this sort of concrete concrete mess, isn't it? It's like you know rather than really it should be it should be full of life so we're inspired and we're, we feel alive you know not least in hospitals in, in the workplace and stuff I mean you know like you mentioned Jeremy you go into some workplaces and it's like <laughs> you know you just want to come out you feel sick don't you you actually feel with the fluorescent lights and everything else you feel like you've kind of been through you know been through like a round with Mike Tyson or something you just feel exhausted and you don't quite know why and it could be the air quality it could be the lighting which is often the lighting isn't it yeah. you know or cleanliness as well you don't even realize that there might be grime and dirt and stuff around you know where it's not being cleaned properly but there's also the care of their staff isn't it so I'm, I'm no I'm, I'm sort of but it is isn't it you know if you if you if you care for your if you care for your staff you're going to care for the building you're going to care for the environment that they're in and as you say it's going to entice people back to the workplace if that's what we're trying to do for collaboration for teamwork for for innovation for all these amazing things that we do when we get together um you know so to have these sort of biophilic design elements i think is 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 is, is really wonderful um um life-giving um way of of um yeah of creating healthier workplaces um, and I know you guys sort of obviously use by, you know, and you obviously um, in your facility management kind of everyday stuff that you do, there's all different elements of biophilic design that you have to, um, and I'm putting inverted commas, manage or install or whatever. Um, for you, what are sort of like some key elements of biophilic design that you see working better, maybe to help the net zero kind of mindset or, you know, targets? So is there anything that you're using or or um or you know reading about that you think is a is a positive for people to um to include in their in their workplaces yeah, do you know the i think the, the the most um talked about stuff recently is 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 things being reused and i'm seeing a lot more about that I'm, uh, you know we, we used to be in a cycle where um every 10 years Officers would just you know throw all the furniture away mm -hmm. and start again, and, and we're, there's a lot more um, reusing of that office furniture coming in. Mm -hmm. Not not just reusing it, but um, refurbishing it and then reusing it. I think yeah. um, name check Herman Miller. I know they do that quite a bit with their um, with some of their chairs, but there's a lot more desking that that's happening in, and and I think that we'd be aiming to push. Um, that that kind of product for customers so that we can kind of you know, do that whole circular economy piece um mm -hmm. and also there's there's a lot more discussion around um uh sustainable carpet um so carpets mm -hmm. that's made from um discarded um fishing nets mm -hmm. which is really quite quite valuable i mean there's a double whammy that's taking fishing mm -hmm. nets out of the ocean and then reusing yeah. it somewhere else which is uh, i think is a really good thing um so yeah, the, the, it, uh, for me, it's a lot about the materials that we're using um, mm -hmm. and, and trying to use them as long as possible. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'd, I'd add to that. We, we've seen some customers do a couple of things. Whether you class it as biophilic design, I, I think I would, but bringing more pictures into the working environment on huge big walls that resonate yeah. with the outside. So we work with quite a few, few utility organisations who bring the reservoirs into the building so people mm -hmm. can see what they look like 
they're building furniture out of used um, uh, pipe work, for example. You know, so, so sort of big sewer pipe works, they're bringing them inside so you can see the product. So okay. you're not having, they're reusing their own network inside their own building. So they're almost creating what's outside inside. And then we're seeing some organizations that they're incubating uh, plants and trees for plant a tree for life, which you probably heard of that, that particular charity, bringing it inside. So creating gardens inside the working environment where people are being given time to nurture those gardens before taking them and planting them back into the local forest to put back in into the earth. So I think we're seeing some nice little practical small steps. Mm. And of course, when people see that more green element, and I know it's all about the green element, it does stimulate well-being. Yeah. It does make we, 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 greens our favourite colour. We like to be outside. We want to be outside. We came from the outside. We shouldn't be living and working in all these buildings. I know it's a bit of a challenging Britain because it's raining most of the time. But, <laughs> so, I, so I get that. But maybe maybe we'll start to see some of these buildings that become more open plan. They, they'll open the roofs up and we can feel the rain wax for doing that sitting on our desk. But like I think, but I think it's that kind of disruptive thinking that we really need. Yeah, we, we, you know, we're trying to solve tomorrow's problems with, you know, with the optics of today. Mm. We've got to change that. We, we, we've got to think about a different way. We have to find a different way. Yeah, do you know, I know uh, that's interesting. That you said about having having the rain come in. I mean, that, that's my point about um, thinking about how we use buildings in a different way. Yeah. You use the building for a purpose. If it's if if Jeremy and I would have a better meeting, meeting walking around. We're in Surbiton today. If we're walking around the park. Um, why don't we do that? That would be a better yeah. thing to do rather than you know yeah. sit in a, in, a, in a sterile box, which we're yeah. kind of in. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, they've also proven, haven't they? That you know, if you're walking outside in nature, you have a, your problem solving. Um, it helps. It helps you, you know, yeah. problem solve. And you know, if, if you're really stressed, it helps reduce your stress. And you know, we know the cortisol levels come down. So actually, we know psychologically and physically, it may has a positive impact on us. So. Um, I suppose from that point of view as well, um, in the whole kind of like climate change, protecting the environment, loving nature, planting trees kind of mindset that we all need to be in. Um, I genuinely feel, and I think I've said I'm, I'm not quite at sort of hiding this, um, but I really feel that biophilic design, when impl implemented in the workplace, particularly with plants and natural materials, and as you said, Jeremy, you know, with beautiful imagery and, you know, virtual nature walls and all this kind of stuff where, you've got this constant reminder. It's almost like um, it's in a nudge. It's a nudge. We talk about the sort of nudge side of things, don't we, in, in psychology, yeah. so that people, you know, their behaviours change. And I really feel that, that biophilic design is, is a key to that because if we're surrounded, like me, I'm surrounded by nature and, and sort of natural materials and wood, and we know wood grain is really good for our brains as well, for instance. We know we focus better. Um, all these different aspects. I think if we're completely, if we're constantly surrounded by it, just by default when we go home or when we go out we're just not going to pick up and we're not going to throw the rubbish away we're not going to maybe use so much plastic we're going to have a make a different give different choices um i mean do you do you do you agree with that or do you think it's completely potty <laughs> the only thing you missed there i think for me was bringing sound into the workplace as well yeah you know because i do think you know we are influenced yeah. by sounds we like running water because it's therapeutic. It makes us relax. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we, we like sometimes, you know, nice, pleasant music or different kinds of music, which again, you know, in the workplace, if, if I was to switch on, I don't know, bring my ghetto blaster. Sorry, that's a really old expression. <laughs> I remember that. Bring my, my, my iPods or something and listen, be listening music out loud. Folks wouldn't be quite happy with me, would they? But yeah. it makes me feel happy. Why can I not do that? Mm. 
choice. It's choice, isn't it? Because you like because you like death metal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I do. It does. I do. I do. Yes. Yeah, it's a bit, the, bit the, there's, a, there's a big reason there. If it was Fleetwood Mac, it would be fine. Still makes my way. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I, I agree with you all, all, all on the awareness front. I think that we we need to be made more constantly aware of, of why we're here and, and mm. the fact that every action we do will either have a positive or negative um, uh, uh, reaction to the climate. And, and, and I think that bringing all that nature and biophilic design into the spaces that we're spending a lot of time in can only really be a good thing. And, and how we do that, um, I mean, we always we always struggle to get customers to get planting in. We, we always put it in our mm. scheme. It's always yeah. one of the things we put in there. But, you know, we, we, we do, it's a constant battle to get them to put it in. And I think it's always been... Um, a bit of a battle or at least we, we were talking about a scheme that that um jeremy was involved in quite a few years ago that that was constructed and designed with a lot of planting in it and then it was um and it was great i think i've never seen pictures of it but it was great thing yeah <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then cost cutting um the plants were taken out and then they replaced mm. with plastic plants and, yeah. and then the plastic plants got covered in dust so then they were taking out and then it was no, this is going over 20 years, um, and but now we, we it, it's going back in again. We you know mm. the conversations just come back round again, so that the planting we, we've got the planting back in, yeah. and it's a really good thing. And I, and I think that um, you know as much as we're not necessarily you know, experts in, in biophilic design or, or even sustainability or climate change, we're using our our, our voices and our platform to yeah. keep on pushing that message because mm. we need to get that message out to to absolutely everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, planting, I mean, like you say, I mean, it's always people th think of, oh, it's plants, it's all fluffy. It's like, oh, it's like just, you know, it's, it's like just making it all pretty. That's all yeah. it is. Um, yeah. Without realising, actually, there's so there's so many essential good things for our brains from our psychology. You know, if we can kind of wheel out all these facts and figures that how it helps our creativity, productivity, reduces absenteeism, um, presenteeism, all this stuff where people just, because, and then also, but you know, if you put a plant on somebody's desk, you give them responsibility to look after it. Something really simple like a crusader or, or, you know, um, mother-in-law's tongue or, you know what I mean? Where they can't kill it, but it's going to, it's, but it's going to give them, it's going to inspire, you can't kill those, you can't kill the, you can't kill the mother-in-law's tongue, you know, naturally you can't kill them anyway, but then we're not going to go there, but um, <laughs> um, but you've got like, um, but you, when they, we've, there's a study, isn't it? So when you tell people to move their desk, they take the plant with them. And, you know, mm. if they're caring for the plant, they're caring for themselves. So it's almost like we have to, again, it's like giving a toolbox to somebody who's like saying, well, you know, you're going to reduce your, um, uh, your, um, um, have, emissions by x amounts or whatever it is if you put this um different air conditioning unit in they can understand that it's like mechanical it's engineering and if you start saying with the plants well we know we've done the studies that actually it's going to stop you losing staff it's actually going to encourage them to come back to the office it's going to do this and and like you said the leesman has done lots of studies on this sort of things and it's it's almost like you have to keep keep banging that drum don't you have to keep yeah. banging the facts and figures drum which i suppose isn't a bad thing and, and it's good now the figures are becoming you know more that there are more and more figures and there's, there's quite a lot happening in china actually in terms of um biophilic design and um and monitoring um as well which is interesting obviously i know they've got a big issue haven't they and they're trying, they're trying to do as much as they can but um i mean do you do you think have you seen um biophilic design in a workplace that you that you work on um yeah, that's had an impact on on sort of carbon footprint. Might be a bit of a difficult question, but um, I'm asking you anyway. <laughs> well, we 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 talked about this before, didn't we? We did. 
and, uh, and 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 I think that we were well. The the, the short answer is it's it's tricky and and potentially mm. not to the level that we would have liked to have seen it in, mm. in, in, in honesty. And, and and I don't think that's uh, 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 not for the want of trying. Um, well, yeah, it isn't worth trying. But I, I would add two things. So we've done research in the past. I'm thinking of the whole life uh, products plus yep. stuff. So we've done research with LCMB, Oxford mm. University, Nats, to prove the relationship between poor productivity, poor performance, poor well-being, uh, I guess absenteeism, maybe not presenteeism, but certainly absenteeism, on increased levels of CO2 in our working environment. And generally speaking, I think I'm correct me wrong here, but 500 parts per million, you're about okay. If you get over a thousand or over 1500 parts per million of CO2, and it's a natural gas, so it, it blazes the, the natural gas laws and it dissipates all through the atmosphere, your, your brain starts to switch off. You become less cognitively responsible. Your productivity starts to drop off. And folks generally are either being absent or just not doing the work properly. And we've demonstrated that's the case. So, what we try to do now is we encourage people, Luke. You know, measure your CO2. Let's keep those CO2 levels down. If you've not got natural air ventilation in your building, you need to have it. You need to have air conditioning systems in your building that work and that are maintained properly, that are optimized as well, because if they're not working, they're no good. And equally to each point, get outside sometimes, you know, think, think about that. So we are starting to see when you've got evidence, we're seeing organizations pick up biophilic yeah. design in, in a slightly more proactive and positive manner. But I do think there's something else around this. It's around cost. Mm. So, so we, we've got to, to your point, Vanessa, we've got to make that empirical measured link between human cognitive performance, productivity, wellness, well-being, absenteeism. You know, when you think about folks that are depressed because they're going to poor workplaces yeah. or that they're feeling anxious because the workplaces are not good enough for them. Once we can say, look, what's the real cost of absenteeism in this country? Mm-hmm. and it's in the team it's in the hundreds of millions yeah. yes it is yeah you know it's so much money it's nothing compared to doing more biophilic design bringing mm-hmm. planters in using sustainable materials yeah to your point before bringing nice woods and nice colors that make us feel good yeah for me it's it's, it's a it's a must do but you need that empirical evidence yeah there's yeah, I was going to say, um, Terrapin, Bright Green have done the economics. Is it called the economics of biophilic design? It's a brilliant, uh, brilliant thing where they've broken down all the different elements of biophilic design and, and the impact it's had on like healthcare and workplace and different things. So it's um, there, there is a, there's quite a, they've done quite a lot of evidence and that was quite a few years ago. So, and I know they're just building on that. So it'd be interesting, you know, if, if, there's, if there's like a kind of joined up database of, of stuff, um, you know, that we can, that we can go on. Um, you know, so we can we can pull on. I just just um, for listeners who are listening and for people who are watching this on YouTube and on the Journal of Biophilic Design, um, there is going to be a printed version of the Journal of Biophilic Design where there's going to be uh, research and discussion and um, all links and and sort of resources as well um, and so to try and spark this wider uh, communication and support um, globally um, so that we can all you know put put information together and if someone has well i've done that they can then come forward and say do you know what this is a link to the report so we can all really um you know so i'd like to see a policy change i'd like to see a policy change where there's biophilic design in every nhs i'd like to see you know where biophilic design on nature and, and sort of sustainability is, is in every workplace um you know it's not rocket science and, and you just got to switch up your two different tables from plastic tables that are given off voc yeah. to natural materials 
yeah. it's not that much difference and you can also employ local people maybe to actually create it there's sort of this whole like you said Ian you know the sort of different um 360 economy that we can really you know sink our teeth into it's happening it's happening on sort of different areas but and I think I think there there is sort of the start of a sea change, and it's really exciting to kind of to witness and to sort of see elements of. And and the more I'm interviewing people like yourselves, it's it's very exciting because I can I can feel the passion and and the genuine um, you know belief and 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 knowledge base as well, and and witnessing um, that you know that you know improving the VOCs and, and places and, and biophilic design, et cetera, um, really, really has an impact on, on people. Um, I'm really looking forward to, just, just to recap, um, to see you on the 7th of July in 2022, for those who might be listening to this next year, um, it's at the Cavendish uh, Conference Centre in London. Um, it's the Net Zero Workplace, um, and uh, we're media sponsors for it, the Journal of Biophilic Design are media sponsors, so looking forward to seeing you there. But before you go, before you go, a uh, question I ask everybody on the podcast, and I think this is my favourite bit of the podcast, so forget about all what you said just now, but um, uh, if, you could, um, if you could paint the world um, with a magic brush of biophilia, what would it look like? Do you want to go? Do you want me to go? I, I would say that, that, that maybe, or hopefully, the Journal of Biophilic Design has crowdsourced uh, change all over the world and made us a greener, better, smarter, and more eco-friendly world. Damn, that's really good. Uh, <laughs> I, <like> <laughs> I was going to say, I, I, I went to the Eden Project a few years ago, and I was thinking, just from a workplace perspective, just put some desks in there, put a bit of running water, as you mentioned, bit of running water, some lovely plants to look at, access to some good coffee and some lovely food. That that's uh, that would be great for me. Oh, yeah, with, with some wine. It's, yeah, not during the working day. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast.